Are you tired of spending hours listing cards for sale? Well, the ComC Marketplace is the easiest place to sell cards online. ComC will identify, scan, list, store, insure, package, and ship. Just send them the cards and they will take care of the rest. All you have to do is set the price. Visit ComC.com today to start selling your cards. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. I'm pretty excited about today's guest, Carrie Williams, better known as American Arbitrage Online. Over the last several years, you've seen me do some content about going around and picking up stuff to flip at garage sales or the big attic purchase I bought, which had a bunch of sports and sports memorabilia, but a whole bunch of other antiques, old product packaging, and other things like that that I was going to be selling. And I've enjoyed getting into the reselling of those types of things as well as a way to supplement the Wax Pack Hero business a way to continue my knowledge and education, my attachment to history and the things that of these of these products and of these collectibles and and antiques that are hundred years old or more sometimes, all of those things come together for another side interest or a side hobby that I've got. And Kerry Williams is somebody who blends both of those things together. He is a full-time reseller but he is also somebody who collects and resells cards, and we're going to get into that conversation. We've, As you're going to hear in the conversation, we have been in contact since 2020, and over these last few years, from time to time, we'll have some brief interactions online commenting on each other's content that's coming out. But I thought with that combination, he would be somebody interesting to bring on, to hear another perspective of somebody who resells full-time just not cards full-time. He does cards and he does other garage selling, thrifting, and other reselling items. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It was a lot of fun to talk with Carrie, and I'm going to go ahead and run that conversation after you hear from the sports card shop. Hi, this is Pat Hughes, Cubs announcer, coming to you from the sports card shop in beautiful New Buffalo, Michigan. The Gocher family has built an incredible place here for collectors to buy, sell, and trade cards and memorabilia. Be sure to stop by and let them show you around. TheSportsCardShop.com, connecting sports, athletes, the hobby, and collectors around the world. Well, Kerry Williams is known as American Arbitrage, and he's been an online reseller for a number of years. He's grown his audience of over 870,000 on TikTok, 109,000 on Instagram, 23,000 on YouTube, and they tune in to watch his videos on garage sale and thrift shop picking. But Kerry also has a sports card collection. He's a sports card buyer and seller, and he's recently started a dedicated profile to highlight his card-related activity. And I wanted to bring him on today to talk a little bit about that. Kerry, welcome to the show. Glad to be on it. Nice to see you. We first started our interactions back in 2020, but I'd love to hear more about your origin story. How did you get into the reselling business? 
You know, I, I honestly think, um, cause I'm known for doing garage sales and estate sales and thrift store stuff, but I think it all started with sports cards. I got my first little shoebox full of cards for my older brother, 1990 chock full of Donruss. If you remember that, like red speckled paint, yeah. speckled, uh, Donruss baseball cards. And there was some 77, 78 football, which was kind of cool, but I was super interested in the baseball. That got me thinking about prices of stuff. Looking back on it, it got me thinking about what stuff was worth. And that was, you know, the time when you would go get a Beckett and you would look it up and I would put everything in my binder and price it. My family would do yard sales from time to time. And I would, uh, I remember asking my parents uh, on weekends that, you know, randomly if I could do a yard sale by myself, you know, and they would watch and, and I could make some extra money typically so I could get you know, $5. So I could either get like a Ninja Turtle or go to the sports card shop. It was one of those two things that I wanted to spend my money on. So I was doing that, not really realizing that I was into to reselling and flipping stuff. And I went to college, um, just enjoyed college, goofed around, um, ended up just doing what I wanted, which was random and getting, I got three degrees, which I didn't use any of them. I got a political science, a history and a Spanish degree. Um, and I was going to I graduated in the midst, like 2010, kind of during the big recession we had, realizing none of those degrees were going to really work unless I went back and, and got some certificates or got my master's and stuff to teach. And so I was planning on doing that. And I got started uh, reselling in the meantime. Um, my mom had brought me like a Pokemon, a sealed Pokemon game at the time wasn't super valuable. Now they're super, super valuable. People are grading them. But I just put it at a dollar auction because during my college years, um, occasionally I would go on eBay and buy cards on auction and I would collect a stack of them. I remember um, I was building this one stack that I was going to just start at a dollar and try to make a profit on. And I remember the the crown jewel of that stack was my Hanley Ramirez autograph card because he was a big deal for a few years there in like the late aux. Um, and yeah. um, I ended up making money every time just out of pure luck. Cause I wasn't really, I didn't even, I wasn't computing trying to make money. I enjoyed doing it. So I, I guess I had the bug for reselling before I even knew I did. I started doing that. I didn't go back to school. Like I planned, I opened up a, a shop in Utah. I started a live auction. I've done so many random things over the last 10 or 11 years, reselling related, including making videos, which is what I'm kind of known for on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, building up that profile. And, um, but my first video on YouTube, my first video ever was how to sell sports cards. It's still one of my biggest videos to this day. So, I mean, I've always loved sports cards. It's always been my number one thing I enjoy to resell. But yeah, I go to garage sales, estate sales, and I, I find stuff, whatever is worth something, I flip it. Do you have cards that you have for your own collection? Do you actually collect as well? I have a hard time. Here's the thing. If I wasn't a reseller, I would. Yes, because I collected before. The thing is, what I've learned from doing clean outs and buying massive amounts of stuff, doing live auctions where I'm selling hundreds of items at a time, I just am not a big fan of having stuff, if that makes sense, of like personal stuff. I have started recently um, a PC of Jerry Stackhouse. That's the one like from mid 90s. With me, a, a personal collection one has to be one that I can find out and about easily and, and cheap. That's kind of the fun of it. I want to be able to find this stuff in a dollar box. So it's not really going to be, I mean, I do find Kobe Bryant stuff like that. I like basketball probably the best is what I'm saying. Okay. But Gary Stackhouse to me was a, like a flagship player from the mid nineties that didn't, he had a great career, but he didn't pan out to become, you know, the next Michael Jordan, like they all thought he would. 
he has a ton of cool cards from that, you know, mid nineties, late nineties era, lots of autographs. And a lot of that stuff I can find digging through dollar boxes or bargain bins. And that kind of just adds to the hunt a little bit. It sure. makes it fun for me. I don't really, I mean, I, I have started to delve into looking on eBay for some of that stuff, but the hunt is really the fun part of it. Looking for this stuff and finding it, you know, in the, just out and about, that's kind of the joy. Once you move from the pursuit of the Stackhouse collection, from just the stuff that you find in these dollar boxes, once you move that into starting to look for that stuff on eBay, I feel like it might be getting a little bit more of an anchor and, and it might stick around for a little bit. You're starting to get a little serious yeah. about that, it seems like. I, I agree. Like I, I, I just decided recently because as a kid, my favorite player was Sharif Abdul-Rahim and I do save some of his cards, but I just... For whatever reason, it hasn't caught on with me in the last couple of years to want to go search for his cards. But I was just like, yeah, recently going through a box and I saw a Jerry Stackhouse card. And to me, I was like, this is valuable. You know, it was in the dollar box. It probably is only worth a couple bucks now, you know. But to me, I'm still 1995 Carrie looking at his Beckett saying that's a $15 card. You know, to me in my head, it feels like it's still. So I, ha I had to pick it up and it, it brought me some joy. And I think I will get into the eBay thing and I will start. It, it, it'll, it'll be addicting. And, and I need to, I need to have that little collection. I feel like uh, being in this field, it's something that brings joy and it adds a little bit to, to what I'm doing with videos and stuff. I think it adds a little a narrative that we can have and, and it's something I'm enjoying. Your three degrees is kind of a running gag or a running joke, you know, in some of yes. your content, you, you, you refer to that frequently. I was wondering, you know, you mentioned that there was nothing career-wise that you realized you were going to be doing with those unless you went back to school. But I was wondering, was there anything from the pursuit of those degrees that you've been able to use in your reselling pursuits? Is there anything that you learned from that time in college that you've been able to leverage in your, in your business now? The one thing I learned about myself going to college and getting those degrees is thankfully, like maybe the one skill I have that's, that's really has set me apart in my life is like, once I get my eyes or my sight set on something, I finish it. I had the idea that I was going to get two degrees. And then I ended up last, my last year of college wanting to stick around. And I realized I just needed 10 more credits to get a history degree. So I got that third one. But I, I really learned that if I want to do anything, even if, you know, it kind of sounds wild, like getting three degrees, which it did to me at the time, I could pretty much do anything I set my mind to. So that really helped. It let me know that I was capable of focusing on anything that that was interesting to me and being successful at it. And I've I've been lucky in my life. I'm not a good multitasker. I'm not great at a lot of things. But the one thing is like it seems to be with whether it's social media or, you know, like having a business, I've been able to focus on one thing or maybe two things at a time and do really, really well with it. But I, I loved college. It was it was so much fun. I loved going to class. I loved learning. Um, but I mean, the honest gag is like, I went to college. I mean, when I started college in 2002, that was the thing every, you know, that was the thing everybody seemed to be doing. And by the time I graduated, the world had already kind of changed and it's changed even more. Um, you know, the recession happened. A lot of these degrees, just there weren't jobs out there that were decent and interesting enough to, to do. And then I just kind of fell into this and I, I've loved every minute of it. When we were, you know, first interacting back in 2020, you know, I first noticed or the the first content I saw was more of the the garage selling and other reselling videos. But you mentioned your first video was on YouTube even was buying and selling cards. 
you've you've worked that stuff in over the years, but now recently you started a separate card profile instead of just including that content along with your other reselling content. Tell me about that decision. Why separate those those two profiles or why add that second card specific profile versus just continuing to include it with all of the other reselling videos that you're making? It's it's weird how algorithms work and all that kind of stuff. I've learned this from TikTok with with reels, with all those things. If you don't give people kind of what they're used to from you, it doesn't always work. And I was, there was a time in 2020 when I, on YouTube, especially I was doing like, I would go and buy cards and flip them. And I did several videos on that. And they were honestly doing better than my garage sale content on YouTube. Um, looking back, I, I know if I would have focused and pivoted my channel to card being card centric, it would have probably been bigger than it is now. Um, but I just realized I, I wanted to, to separate the two. It confused people. A lot of people in the garage sale space aren't interested in sports cards from what I found, but I still wanted to do sports card content. I didn't want people to, I didn't want to mess up the YouTube algorithm as boring as that sounds. So I decided to, to start it anew with a new TikTok, a new Instagram, a new YouTube, thinking that there was kind of a market. I, ve- I was very specific on what I wanted to focus on within cards too. I think that's really important for anybody. Um, when they're doing content, but also like when they're doing anything in business or in sports cars, I think it's important to have a focus. And I'm, I'm all about going to the dollar boxes, going to the bargain bins and finding deals in my content or opening up retail stuff, like stuff I've always done. I'm just yeah. doing the stuff I did anyway. I'm just filming it now. That's the only difference. Um, and it, it's done really well. I'm surprised. Uh, it's probably, in my opinion, probably going to grow bigger than my main channel in within a couple of years if I keep it up. That's my thought. But who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Why do you enjoy cards so much? Gosh, man, that's a great question. There is something, there's something, there's something within, I think, every human being that, that really enjoys treasure hunts, I feel like, or, or finding value in stuff. There, there's a reason why Pawn Stars and Storage Wars and all those shows were, were giant hits to people who aren't interested necessarily in actually going out and doing it themselves. Like with my main TikTok, like like you said, I have like over 800,000, almost 900,000 people. They don't resell. Like 800 something thousand of them don't resell, but they connect to treasure hunting. And I think it's the same thing with cards. I particularly focus not on speculative plays or, you know, like, is this guy going to get hot? Is this guy not? Because nobody knows. I mean, I wish we knew, but like there's a lot of people who wasted a lot of money on Jerry Stackhouse cards, for example, or, you know, players who ended up panning out. You know, Allen Iverson's a Hall of Famer, but his cards, you know, aren't worth as much as some of the new hot rookies this year, Paulo Banchero, or in the same happens in baseball in every sport. So I'm all about finding the undervalued stuff right now. You know, going in a dollar box and finding a player that they put in the dollar box six months ago that now just got called up to the major leagues, you know, or, you know, I, I a couple, what did I, I think yesterday I sold a card. Hunter Brown, which I, I wasn't fully aware. I, th- I think he plays for the Astros. I think it was Hunter Brown. It was a leaf autograph. I got it for a buck and it sold for 40 and I got it last week. Um, and and it, it was just in there. There's a lot of reasons it was in a low end box. It was leaf. If you're not paying attention, you could throw stuff in there because you don't know your prospects. Uh, I, I only figured it out because I looked it up, you know, and now if I ever find stuff again, it'll, it'll pay off in the future, but <laughs> that, that stuff happens all the time. It's, it's fascinating. This is why I think we are brothers from a different mother, because that's one of the reasons that I love reselling cards at the low end too. And why I focus at the low end too, because it's, 
so much easier to find stuff that other people have disregarded as being worthless and not worth their time. But there are those treasures in there where you can turn not to not to steal the name of your your podcast, but you can turn that trash, other people's trash into treasure. You can find and create the value in that stuff when the low end. So um, I appreciate hearing that because that that means you you are a man after my own heart as well. When it comes to the the profitability side or the maybe that mix of things that you're buying and selling, how do cards compare to those other things that you're selling? How do how do they perform in relation to the other things that you're picking up to resell? Uh, quantity wise, by far, I sell the most cards, but I, I do focus a lot on low end. And, and part of what I'm learning on focusing more on low end in the last six, seven, eight months, I went from maybe three, 400 cards on my eBay to like over 6,000 or right around 6,000 cards is that I definitely need to mix. I need to mix in both types of things because the, the low end card game is, is tough because you got to buy quantity. The stuff doesn't necessarily sell right away as much as I love the cards and everything. So there's days where you, you don't make what you need to make to, to make it worthwhile on, on any given day. So I mix in stuff like today. I mean, I sold a couple $10 cards. I sold a couple dollar 50 cards. I sold a $50 Furby that was new in the package, you know, that I found at a garage sale. So it's a mixture of stuff that, that that's how you stay afloat. And then honestly, content creation has been a big part of, of what I do too, because it's, it's something that could be monetized. And I figure if I'm going to go out and, and do this, I might as well share it with other people and teach. And then that's also monetizable. So there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, but yeah, no, the low end card game, my, my, my goal is to be, you know, 20, 30,000 cards deep and on, on eBay, hopefully within the next year, if that's possible, that's the goal. Very cool. You know, I kind of see you in a unique position, right? You, you have this massive reselling following and you're clearly involved in cards, but up to this point, you know, you're not necessarily a big part of the card community. And I say that in quotes because outside of your recent panel with Bo, I've not seen you on a lot of other shows or podcasts or part of other, other panels and things like that in the, in the card world. But I think you maybe touched on a little bit. There's there. I was wondering about the overlap between your audience that is interested in cards and the in your audience that is interested in the other reselling and treasure hunting type of things that that you do. Do you have a good feel for how much of your following is from traditional kind of the traditional card people versus more traditional reselling people? Does that make sense at all? No, I know exactly what you mean. Um, on my card channel, like my card channels, I would say at maybe the first month, it was 50-50 or more, like half. I think the first five or 600 people on my YouTube, most of them were from my main channel. But at this point, like it's it's an algorithm thing. So like you get known by, I'm, it, it was surprising to me. So I've been going to card shows for years, um, uh, steady since about 2019. I used to go as a kid, but I started going back during the boom. Uh, to card shows in particular. Before that, I was the uh, retail buyer. I was going and buying, you know, or buying breaks online, you know, in the mid 2000s and mid 2010s and whatever. But um, I started going back to card shows and I would go and nobody would know who I was because I was a garage sale guy or I wasn't even doing content at certain times. But um, sure. the last time I went, I had, uh, which was just a week and a half ago, I had s like several people come up to me. Okay. Like, and I was at the dollar bins, which is on brand. I'm sitting literally. Yep. The, 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 uh, the dude who sits for five hours at the dollar bins, that's literally what I was doing. And then I had people coming up. I think they put one and one together or two and two together and realized that it was me. So 
I think I'm getting into a new audience. It is a similar audience. And I think personally, and I, I feel very strongly about this, there's a big need for, for I think, the practical reselling of cards uh, content on that on, on YouTube. And I think there's a lot of people doing it. But I, I feel like with the years of experience I have in making content, I think I can do it in a way that's, that's going to catch on quick, I hope. It seems like it has. It's kind of gone really fast and, and, and grown really quickly, which has been surprising to me. And I don't feel like, like we talked a little bit before the podcast started about how much crossover from TikTok, like my audience went to YouTube and it doesn't really happen that way. And I feel like with cards, maybe initially a 500 people came over, um, but now it's just people finding me realizing one of two things that, oh man, there's a practical way to go out with 20 bucks and make some money selling cards. Or there's the whole other audience that's like, what is this guy doing? He's an idiot. He's wasting time and money. And that's fine too, because you want to play on that and hopefully educate them on what you're doing. And then if nothing else, they'll, they'll watch your content and that'll help you. So, <laughs> you know, many of us in, you know, we have to deal with figuring out how we talk about cards or reselling with our friends and family who just don't get it. Now, I've even heard some of your fellow podcast co-hosts give you a hard time about you you dealing in cards. Yes. <laughs> have you had to, you know, have have you also had to explain your card dealing with your fellow resellers or how have you gone about approaching that? Or, you know, what's your experience been like when it when it comes to, you know, you trying to help other people understand what that opportunity might be in cards, just like I might have to help other people understand what opportunity might be in buying somebody else's attic and selling a bunch of dragonfly knickknacks that are from some brand that people don't realize are actually worth a lot yeah. of money. That's a really good question because you're right. I do get a lot of people don't understand what I'm doing. I, I think that's very fair. They don't understand why, especially like the low end cards. I think a lot of people think of card flipping and they think of this higher end stuff, but I mean, my, my heroes when it comes to card selling are not the, the high-end slab flippers. They're the Burbank sports cards, the DC sports, like the people who are doing mass quantities. And I'm very interested in that and want to kind of leverage my audience. But the way I've handled it, to answer your question, um, is I've, I just joke about everything. So I've really leaned into that. And that, that's the running joke on my podcast is that I'm the $1.50 card guy. When in reality, I don't, I don't buy cards to sell at $1.50. I buy collections. And right. I, I have a Bo Jackson 1988 Tops card. I, I'm like, somebody wants that. I'll put it at a buck fifty, and it gets in a pile. Put it through a scanner. I have Card Dealer Pro. I can do it quickly. Um, at this point, I was before I was just posting it manually because I enjoyed it. It was cathartic and therapeutic, and it was like when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, I would get my baseball cards out. I don't know if you were like this. And uh, one weekend, you know, I would put them all into teams, and then the next weekend, I would take them out of teams and put them into set. I just loved going through my cards. It was something that I, that brought me joy and it still does uh, to this day. So um, that's what people don't understand. I built my whole career in what I'm doing around stuff I love doing. I've, I've really been good at avoiding doing stuff I don't like. So I've kind of went into garage selling and loved it. And then I realized my favorite part of it is cards. And I've tried to focus on that and monetize that as much as possible. What I like is low end cards. It's going to take a little while for it to be as profitable as I want it to be, you know, day to day, but it's growing. There's some great days. There's some slow days, but thankfully I have garage sale stuff that I do and, and content. So it's, it allows me the, 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 the runway to do it the way I want to do it. The thing I love about reselling is that pretty much anyone who's willing to put in some work is able to do it. 
And whether we're talking about cards or garage sale items or estate sale fines, there's money to be made, whether you want to just make a few hundred bucks a month as a side hustle or turn it into something like you've done and, and make it a full-time business. What do you enjoy most about the reselling opportunity? You know, wh why have you chosen that as the way that you make your money to, to, to live on and, and make you, that your full-time career? That's, that's a really good question. And gosh, I, I don't know. I don't know why I, I, I did it. I don't know why I do it but I kind of feel like I have to, it's just like, it's what I, it's, it's what I enjoy doing with my time. I don't, that's a very good question. I, like I said earlier, like I, I found a way somehow, some way to, to, to kind of carve out a living doing exactly what I like, which is not just going to garage. Literally the three things I love to do most are resell sports card stuff and making content. And that's literally what I'm doing. Um, I didn't realize like the content stuff I would love as much as I did, but I do. And I really enjoy it. And there's days where content takes over my whole day. Cause that's all I want to focus on. Cause I'm, I'm trying to build something there. And there's days where I just do nothing but focus on cards and there's other days, but, um, I don't, I don't know why I do it. I don't, I mean, there's other things I could do. I do have degrees. I probably would need to go back to school and maybe do some internships or something. Cause I've been out of it for 10 or 15 years from doing what I was planning on doing, but I could get into that. And um, I just don't have any desire to. And I, I really don't know why, but I am doing exactly what I want to do. That much I know. You're now in Las Vegas, but you were doing this in Utah, like you mentioned before that. How have those differences in locations made a difference in your business? One of the big reasons we wanted to move down south was the year-round garage sale resale opportunity. It is hot here in the summer. And it isn't, you know, as good as Utah in the summer for garage sales and going out and making that kind of content and finding the stuff to flip, but it is year round here. So we wanted to go to a place where the weather was a little bit more hospitable. Um, my girlfriend, Dawn, had lived in Utah most of her life. She wanted to change the, uh, the fact that we are kind of nomads in what we do. We have a lot of flexibility. You know, Dawn had a full-time job. She was able to quit because of this. She also does content. And then... You know, I didn't necessarily have to stay in Utah to do what I'm doing. So we we decided to move to a place that had a little bit more action going on. We're, we're near California, which is where I'm from originally. The weather's nice. Um, a lot of card stuff down there, too, now that I, thankfully uh, that wasn't really the plan initially. But now I can, you know, drive to Burbank card shop and do like a video if I want to and drive back the same night if I want to. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool opportunities that being in Utah, there was a lot less, I felt like. I've also heard you talk about kind of maybe your aversion to debt. And many people think that debt is necessary to build a business, to acquire inventory and that type of thing. Have you found it possible to scale without using debt? It just takes longer. It does. I mean, I've, I've done, we've done loans in the past um, and everything. And it's just, um, I, I found the best way for me to work is to work with the money I have. It allows me to be a little bit more disciplined. I'm not saying that's necessarily the right idea. I, I love when people talk about how they're using credit cards and the points. That's probably the smartest way to do it, in my opinion. I just, and I probably will get to that point, but for whatever reason, I just have never used credit cards. I've been dealing with money I have, and if I don't have money, I don't invest. And, and the cool thing is with what I do, I could, I could produce money out of the thousands of cards I have in my inventory, if I don't want to go out and spend money, or I can make content that will also make me money, you know, out of thin air, basically, or out of an idea. So 
it, it helps me be more disciplined. It helps me focus a little bit more personally. It doesn't work for everybody. I think everybody's different. And I think, pro, you know, I'm not really a financial advisor guy, but I, I would, I would guess the the uh, credit card and as long as you were paying it back every month and being super disciplined and using the points would be the most, most intelligent way to do it probably. You know, you mentioned content creation and that being a potential revenue stream for you. Do you think that you would still have the ability to sell profitably without that massive following? I guess, have you turned, have you seen opportunities to turn your following into direct customer bases on the online platforms that you sell on or have they kind of operated independently? The the one place that I've really been able to drive people into was it's been, has been whatnot. Whatnot has grown to where I think we're, I don't know how many thousands of followers, seven, 8,000 followers. And I'd say a lot of that's been driven, especially from Instagram because there's direct links you can do through stories. So um, yeah, whatnot like that, which is a totally new platform in the last couple of years. Um, and I've done cards and I've done general garage sale kind of sales as well. Um, I've been able to move a lot of the people onto whatnot, which is surprising. E- eBay, Yes. And then also Instagram's a great place for, for, for selling directly to people as well. But um, I, I have been able to do it a little bit. It, it's hard to move people from watching social media on one pr- uh, uh, platform to another, but I found uh, certain platforms are decent at driving people into an eBay or whatnot store, particularly uh, Instagram is what I've found. And I've heard like Twitter's good. Um, TikTok's not particularly good. It might become better uh, now that they have TikTok shop and other things available. But at the at the moment, Instagram is the best place for me to drive. And YouTube's solid too. So were you before whatnot started, were you doing Instagram live and Facebook lives and things like that to try to to sell not for selling via not for a selling. live stream or when the time I started Instagram and YouTube and TikTok, I was still doing, I think at the very start, I was still doing live auctions in our store in Utah. Okay. We were actually kind of like sharing a store with somebody and we were the in-house auctioneers and stuff for, for that location. So I've always kind of had that aspect to my business. It's just changed over the last decade from actually in-house auctions to whatnot. So I've never really relied on any one revenue stream ever as a full-time reseller. I've, I've had eBay and a store and an auction for years. I had eBay and whatnot and content now. I've had mixtures of, the, of all, all four or five of those things at different times. Um, I think it's important to diversify what you're doing. Um, but if you do want to do something like content, I think it's important to talk about your, you know, that you sell on eBay drop your links, do all that. You know, I try not to be pushy about it, but I I think it can help for sure. I definitely get sales from that. But the thing is that most people will tell you that do YouTube is if I was not focusing my time on YouTube, I would be selling more stuff. So it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm mitigating my risk, but I'm not necessarily making more money. If that makes sense. I'm, I'm making a, a decent amount in two spots where I could be making all that amount on one spot if I didn't have the other, which I kind of like spreading out the risk a little bit in my business. Yeah, that's I in that same way. I, I like to sell on multiple online platforms as well as the physical shop, you know, and, and so I, I've got that opportunity for multiple streams. Um, I know other people like um, Bo, One Million Cubs Bo. He's eBay only and his live show or the, the physical card show that he runs, but he's all, you know, one one platform only when it comes to online selling. And I know people do it different ways. Um, I did have one question about whatnot. You know, I know that's a, a platform that you're on. 
on the card side of whatnot, it seems like every week there is a, a new scam coming up, you know, people not shipping, yeah. people rigging breaks, the, the, the sophomoric breakers that, that come on and do, and do shows. And, you know, they've developed somewhat of a questionable reputation from cards. There's some good people on there and there's some very questionable people, but I know whatnot is more than just cards. Like you, you know, you and some of your other co-hosts, they sell on there with the, the other merchandise and the other types of products I was wondering from the perspective that you've got outside of just cards, have they had similar issues go on with some, uh, with reselling or selling some of these other types of products? Are there, are there issues that other sellers have had as far as people selling other collectibles and things and then not shipping? Or does that seem like maybe it's really a, a card or breaking specific issue on whatnot? I think it's an issue with reselling or auctions in general. Um, like I did live auctions in Utah and then you would hear not necessarily in Utah, but just culturally within the auction community nationwide that there was auction houses you didn't want to deal with because they did this and that. And I feel like with any platform like this, it's it's been really tough. Whatnot I felt like was really, I don't know if they were like this with the sports cards so much because it was already, when I started whatnot, it was already going. Um, and I started whatnot, like almost, I think two years ago at this point, maybe a little longer. Um, but then all the categories since then, like I was the first week they did video games. I did a video game auction. They brought me in to do video games, even though I'm not a video game seller, I went and bought some. So like, I've seen a lot of these places grow. And I think when, as they let more people in, people, people try some stuff, you know, they, people try to get away with stuff and, and. I think whatnot does a fairly good job at getting rid of people that are problematic and that cause issues, but it's kind of hard to, I think the good, one of the nice things about the card community, I feel like is it's pretty vigilant. I feel like there's a lot of people, content creators to, to people on whatnot that are, that are watching what's happening and keeping people honest, but it's, it's simple. It's just business one-on-one. If you're going to be on whatnot and you're going to be selling, have a fun auction, make people feel welcome and don't screw people over. It's pretty simple, you know? It's pretty simple. And a good auction is, is, is simple. I've done auctions for years and it's, it's, it comes down to this. You want people to come in and have a good time. And if they buy stuff, you want them to have an excellent experience. And if they don't buy stuff, you want them leaving going. It was fun hanging out with Carrie and, and Don, my girlfriend. I didn't buy anything, but I'll be there next time when I have some money. That's the way I like to look at it. So. Hey, the, the National Sports Collectors Convention is coming up in Chicago here at the end of July. Was just curious, are you planning to attend that at all? I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I've been wanting to go forever. I wish they would. They haven't been in Anaheim since I was a child. <laughs> I wish yeah. they were doing it West Coast. Um, I've looked into hotels and stuff. The issue, I don't know if it's an issue, but thankfully, like with my garage sale content stuff in the summer, there's like weirdly in the last couple of years, a circuit of conventions that have come up and, and being in trash to cash the podcast, we are like somehow unofficial MCs at everything now. So I, I'm going to Phoenix at the end of the month. I'm going to uh, Charlotte in uh, gosh, August, I think it is. And then I'm in September, I'm going to Cincinnati. So I'm going all over. Um, but I, if I can make it, I will, if I can swing it. Um, I'm definitely going to try to be at Burbank, which I think will grow into hopefully the national of the West Coast. And yeah, and um, I definitely want to travel more. I went to Collecticon in Dallas with the Collects app guys um, a couple couple weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. It was more of a Pokemon show, but it made me want to go to the Dallas show, which is, you know, plane flight wise, really really close to here in Vegas. So 
I do want to do more of that. I definitely don't want to be, de- I don't need that necessarily to find stuff to resell. Sure. Um, a lot of people in, in the content community do it for content. I definitely would. I don't think it would, I wouldn't make money doing that because it costs a lot to right. do that at the moment. But um, I would like to do more shows. I think it would be fun. It would be cool. It'd be a good experience to get to know people in the community more. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I'm going to national long story short, maybe yeah. I hope it's been a go- dream of mine. I tell on it, my girlfriend every year, I want to go to national and there's always, always something, some reason not to. <laughs> well, well, if you do the singles club, which is one of the booths that has several hundred thousand cards, all priced at a dollar. I'll yes. be there. Bo will be there. Dr. Beckett, several of us will all be bellied up to those boxes, digging through, trying to find those treasures. Like well, that's you where I'm about. That's if you do make it, make. you'll have a seat next to us at the awesome, singles dude. club. Awesome. I will definitely be there hopefully next year, but if, if I'm going to try to swing it this year, I'm going to try to, I'd love to do That's like a dream. Just hang out with a bunch of people who love doing a, exactly what I love doing in a, in a massive place with tons of single cards everywhere. I'd love it. It'd be heaven. Hey, do you have any questions for me? Do you have a do you have a, a set design that's your favorite all time for baseball cards? Whew, that's a tough one. Um, 1986 was the first year that I collected, and so I've got it. it that design has a special place in my heart. Great. Um, the one thing I don't necessarily like about that is it just had the team name across the top. It didn't really have logos. I kind of like when the team logo is on there as well. Um, the next year, 87, even though that's such an overdone set at this point, it's used in so many retro designs at this point. That's another one of my favorites just because that was kind of that next year, that that second year in there. But I really like a, a lot of those vintage era sets set designs. There's something cool about that era where almost every single year, was a completely new look. You can look back at those sure, and you sure. can almost immediately say, yep, I know what that was. Um, where it seems like a lot of the modern stuff, you can kind of lose track on. Now, was that 2018 or 19? Or was that 2013 or 14? Like some of those things just look so similar, but those vintage, vintage sets, they just kind of came up with a unique design almost every year. It's true. I think the first... The first set I ever, like I was talking about, 1990 Donruss, I don't necessarily love that set design. If I was going to go like classic 80s or like vintage for me, 89 Tops is probably one of my favorite designs ever. I don't know why. This Like I just love it. For me, I started in 90s, so it was a fairly, you know, it was everywhere at that point still for me to get packs of and everything. But in particular within the sets, the thing that I fell in love with, the first chase card for me was the Diamond King stuff. You know, the... Dick Perez, you know, artwork stuff that, you know, I mean, it got like, I think of some of the mid 90s stuff when it got a little bit more vibrant and colorful and uh, abstract, like 90, I think it was 94, 95, where they were like really nice paintings and stuff. Those are the sets that I can see myself as I start to grow more PC stuff is I want to just, I probably want to do a full run of pretty much any Diamond King set that was ever made for baseball and then maybe get into some other sports that did it grid gridiron Kings or whatever back in the nineties, but baseball, the diamond King stuff is iconic for me. Yeah. I got to interview Dick a couple of weeks ago for the podcast. Um, there's yes, a, a documentary coming about. Nice. Yep. And so getting a I was chance so, to, I was like, You're talking to the diamond King guy, I was so excited. <laughs> 
That's yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's, so it's one of those things that, and I think I might've said it during the interview, but when I was a, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old or whatever, collecting those cards at that point to think that 25 or 30 years into the future, I was going to get a chance to have a conversation with him and talk about it. I mean, it's one of those things that you just don't think would ever happen, but it's really cool. So that's, that's cool to, to hear that you like those diamond Kings as well. Yeah. Those are just the absolute height of inserts for me. I mean, there a lot of the late nineties stuff I got into, like, I mean, one set I would love to complete, and this is a basketball one, would be the first year of Skybox autographics. I just remember what a big deal autographs were at that time and game use stuff, which has kind of changed. I don't really care about autographs so much anymore. Um, but at that time, you know, what I wouldn't have given to, to pull one of those from a pack, which I never did. I definitely picked some up, you know, an Adam Keefe, a jazz guy here and there at a card show or something, but I was never able to afford any of the really cool players at the time. No Grant Hills, no Kevin Garnett's, no Steve Nash, but I'd love to go complete that set too. I appreciate you spending a few minutes today. I want to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find you. Like you mentioned, you're on a few different channels on a few different platforms. Let people know where they can find you if they want to follow along with the card channel or if they're interested in hearing and seeing and learning about some of the other buying and reselling related content that you're producing. True. Okay. Yeah, no problem. I am on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok primarily under two names, American Arbitrage, which is the main name you see below me. That's for the garage sale and the reselling more general content. And then American Arbitrage Cards is, is the newer card centric channel, which is also on YouTube, um, Instagram, and um, TikTok. So basically just type in American Arbitrage. And if you're interested in sports cards, type in cards or sports cards as well. And you'll find that channel, but there's, it's funny. Cause if you type in American arbitrage cards, you'll actually find a few garage sales and a few old videos on my main channel that were sports card centric. So um, I, I do have two channels, but uh, it's, it's all things reselling all the time. That's what I focus on. Very cool. Hey, I appreciate your time, Carrie. Thanks for, thanks for the conversation. Of course. Thank you, man. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit from Carrie. I love these types of conversations because it's somebody who is also in our card-related world, in our card-related environment and community, but hasn't been as connected as many of the other big online people with a presence and a social media following. His following comes from another segment of reselling. And I think it's cool how there's so much overlap. There's a blend of interests that make up this card world. And it was fun to hear Carrie's interest in cards, why he loves to buy and sell cards, and the types of things that he resonates with. A lot of the same things we hear from everything else. Nostalgia, going back to the 90s and the Diamond Kings. That sense of nostalgia reaches so much further than we remember or than we think about sometimes. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Carrie. Let me know what you think in the comments. Reach out to me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. Send me an email at WaxPackHero at gmail.com. Find me on TikTok and Instagram at WaxPackHero. I'd love to know what you think about this. And if you got something out of it, let me know what that was. I'd love to hear your feedback. Well, that's all I've got for today. So I'll catch you next time.